6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Behold, thy desire is truth in the inward parts. O Lord, the God of truth. Hands that shed innocent blood. The heart that devises wicked imaginations. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. That's your most important stewardship is your heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and so on. Feet swiftly running to mischief, God hates. A false witness that speaketh lies, God hates. And he that sows discord among his brethren, God hates. God hates those that sow discord. Wow. That's the list. Seven of them. God's hate list. God says, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. A fool's lips enter into contention, his mouth is called, uh, mouth called for strokes. Cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Echoes all the way through, those are some samples. Let's talk about the path to destruction. There's three people that get tempted on the path to destruction. The first is the person that's where he tempts himself. Chapter six through, verses 6 through 9 on chapter 7 mentions that. He's out that night walking darkness, he's, so forth. He's tempted by the woman. He tempts himself, he tempts the woman. He's tempted by the woman. Verses 10 20. And he also tempts the Lord. When you sin in any kind, you're tempting God. You're daring him, in a sense. You're tempting his judgment. We tempt God when we deliberately disobey Him and put ourselves in situations so difficult that only God can deliver us. Well, what's the most painful sin? We talked a lot about this. I wanted to bring this up again. The most painful sin. What sin has caused more pain than any other? And the answer surprises many people. That's gossip. He, he, he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuses to reproof earth. He that hideth, hideth hatred with his lying lips, and he that uttereth slander is a fool. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his whips, uh, lips is, is wise. He that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is as choice silver, the heart of the wicked is little worth. This whole collection of things have to do with, is a violation of one of the commandments. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Gossip. It's a form of betrayal. It's probably accountable for more personal pain and suffering than most of us have any imagination. It's common, casual, yet hurtful beyond our imagining. Quietly, behind the flurry of daily priorities, the venom does its silent work, undermining confidences, betraying relationships, spreading unseen injustices. You know, it's really disturbing to discover how many of us have been injured deeply 
by gossip and by those who accept without checking negative or derogatory innuendos whispered behind our backs. And they don't have to be untrue to be hurtful. Whether true or false isn't the issue. What an opportunity you have to display loyalty, love, and, assume, and by assuming the most charitable construction in advance, demonstrate a foundation of a relationship. To give that friend a, the benefit of the doubt and not partake in gossip. The tongue is a ready and willing instrument to talk about our neighbor behind his back. It's all through the New Testament too. Paul warns about it in 2 Corinthians 12. The godly tongue. The scripture has a lot to say about the godly. When used for good, the tongue is like valuable silver, a beautiful and fruitful tree of life, refreshing well of water, a healthy dose of medicine. The godly tongue should be used for the right purposes. Bringing peace, giving wise reproof to the erring, delivering lost souls from death, teaching people the things of the Lord. That's what it should be used for. Carrying the good news of the gospel. That's what your tongue was intended for. Not tail-bearing, lying, talking too much, talking too soon, or flattering, or quarreling. These are all addressed in the Proverbs we looked at. Tail-bearing. Moses warned about this sin in Leviticus 19. Love covers all sins, fortunately. And we have, unfortunately, in this area of tail-bearing, Matthew 18. It's very disturbing, especially in the Christian ministries that are managed by hearsay where careers get crushed without ever being confronted by their accusers or without any evidence brought forth. They're ma ma management by hearsay. Stay away from the tailbearer, because he'll be talking about you next trip around. He's a kindler of fire, fires, a destroyer of relationships. Have no part in tailbearing. You understand how it goes in the Christian community. I don't want to talk about so-and-so, but so that you can pray for him more specifically, let me tell you what's up. You know. Words can be as deadly as weapons. Solomon compares deceitful words to three different weapons. A maul or battle axe that crushes at close range, a sword that cuts, an arrow that pierces and can be shot from a distance. Each one of these battle, each one of these Weapons have a different characteristic, but tail-bearing fits all three. That's what he's saying. And of course, lying. God hates a lying tongue. He says that many places. Lying tongue is only covering up sin in the heart. It's deceit in the heart that makes a statement a lie. Not whether it's true or false. It's what's, the, what's the root of it? The Bible tests and reveals the intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 Lies are like cutting swords, but truth is like a healing medicine. Truth is eternal, lies will be revealed, liars judged. Truth will deliver souls, but lies only lead to bondage and crime. Lies enjoy listening to liars. You know, that's interesting. Liars enjoy listening to liars. I understand there's even clubs that are organized around that idea. See, the heart controls the ear as well as the lips. That's another point that the book of Proverbs makes. But all liars will be punished. When they eat their own words, it will be like gravel, according to Proverbs. 
He is waiting for the one who loves and practices alive. Then there's the issue of talking too much. There's some very humorous ones in there. The fool talks too much and digs his way right into trouble. His mouth becomes a trap and he himself snared by it. The multitude of words sin is not lacking. A loose tongue leads to poverty and foolishness. Many people would rather talk than work. How many of you know those kinds of people? <laughs> a controlled tongue means a safe life. The person of few words is regarded as a person of knowledge. I love Proverbs 17, 27. He that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. In many contexts, if you just be quiet, you will raise the group's assessment of you. You will appear wise. You don't want them to think, if you worry about them thinking you're a fool, open your mouth and remove all doubt, you know. Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. That says it all, doesn't it? That's James actually talking. Restrain the, whips and you, restrain the lips until you really have something to say. Godly person will, be, will, will study the answer, but a fool will open his mouth and pour out foolishness. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. What a great prayer. It's in several of the Psalms. God wants us to search out a matter carefully and then give fair judgment. See, the only certain barrier to truth is the presumption you already have it. Not to be, agree with the first cause that we hear, but to seek to understand both sides of the matter. I'm fascinated in my industrial experience in, in 30 years in corporate boardrooms to discover the really successful executives always worked hard to make sure that each transaction was good for both sides because they knew that's the only way it would endure. The tests of the marketplace had to be good for both sides of the fence. Potiphar did not listen to Joseph's side of the story and committed a great crime because of it. I personally, that's a worthwhile remark, but I personally suspect that Potiphar knew that his wife was lying, but he had to save face. If he really believed his wife, he would have had Joseph executed. David jumped to conclusions about innocent Mephibosheth. <laughs> David jumped to conclusions about innocent Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 16. And of course, there's flattery, insincere praise given by someone who has selfish motives. We call that politics. It's a dangerous net spread before an innocent man's feet. A flattering mouth works ruin. The flatterer's mouth is an open sepulcher. We're warned not to meddle with people given to flattery. Recognize that that's foolishness. Satan used a form of flattery to tempt Eve. That's where it all started. You will be like God. He didn't say which God. <laughs> the evil woman uses flattery to tempt the young man in Proverbs 5 and 7 and so on. The rich have many friends mainly because they want to flatter him and get something out of him. There's a valid um, pity you should give a rich person. Because they go through life not really able to trust anyone. They're not stupid. The clever ones find clever ways to flatter, but the people... That's why chief executive officers of corporations often are very insular people. It's a very difficult life. Because everyone they meet is either a creditor or a debtor, a customer or a vendor, you know, a lender or an investor, or, you know, whatever category. And each one has an agenda, and more often than not, the agenda is not on the table. It's under the table somewhere. 
It's a tough life. It really is. And it is a slippery rock. Honest rebuke is better than flattery. And the smart guys realize that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy, like Judas, for example, are deceitful. Honest praise in the Christian life is discussed in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's like a refiner's furnace, according to Proverbs. Some Christians are so carnally cannot take praise it goes to their heads. Seriously, praise is a tough thing to deal with. In some respects, it's the measure of a man. Or it can also reveal envy. They cannot stand to see another praised. Praise is a very interesting litmus test of what's going on. Quarreling. There's anger, of course. There is such a thing as righteous anger. There's also displays of temper or unrighteous anger. An angry person keeps adding fuel to the fire. The best way to stop an argument is with soft words. The best way is to, to break the bones, as they say in chapter 25. Being able to control one's temper is the same as ruling an army or an empire. The strong leaders don't lose their temper. They don't get angry, they get even. No, never. <laughs> the right use of words, words that help and encourage, of course, are appropriate, words that express wisdom, Proverbs are all full of these things, words that are few, words that are fitting, fitly spoken, words that are true, words that are carefully chosen. The wrongful use of words, lying, of course, slandering, gossiping, constant talking, false witnessing, mocking, those are all the wrong use. These are all laid out in this tapestry we call the book of Proverbs. Harsh talking, boasting, quarreling, deceiving, flattering. Do you realize how much space in the book of Proverbs is directed to the control of the tongue, good and bad? Well, another part of what I hope you carried away from the book of Proverbs is a little perspective on what is typically called Hebrew hermeneutics. The Peshat, the direct meaning, pretty obvious if you take it literally. The Remez, the hint of something deeper, allegorical significance or what have you. The Darash, the practical, okay, the, the thing that answers the so what question. Great, what does it do with me? How should that change my life? That sort of thing. It's called the homiletic or practical application. These three have their parallels in Christian hermeneutics. But the Hebrews indulge in a fourth level, rather interestingly, called the sod, the mystical or hidden meaning. And uh, it's interesting to discover how pregnant the text is with hidden meanings, whether there's mathematical structures that computers uh, have surfaced or whether it's a whole other uh, orchestration going on behind the scenes. These four levels are... are uh, uh, subject of a mnemonic called pardes, which, stands, which is the Hebrew word for garden or paradise, but the, the consonants of that word give you the paradigm here. And of course, we do have this term of dark sayings, riddles, enigmas, uh, several places in Scripture. In the Psalms it's alluded to, in the book of Proverbs, uh, it, uh, a wise man will hear and so forth, and the words of the wise, and they're dark sayings. Solomon collected dark sayings. And uh, so, now, we studied Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 from the point of view of a young man being tempted by a prostitute or its equivalent. 
five, six, three full chapters of advice about that. Looking at it from the point of the Assad, some people have suggested the possibility, because Solomon was the collector of dark sentences, there may be something also hidden underneath to be revealed by the Spirit himself. Is it possible that the harlot there can be visualized as Babylon? And that Nimrod, the hunter of men, is behind all of that. Semiramis in the Tammuz legends. Christmas, Ishtar, and all that, which derives from all of that. Fornication is also a term used in the scripture for spiritual unchastity, worshiping the false gods. And that would be consistent here with some of the things that are going on there. And if that all fits, it just points out there's nothing new in the New Age. The New Age is simply the repackaging, in modern terms, of ancient pagan Babylon. But then we get to Proverbs 30, and it takes on a whole nother complexion. Because we stuff, notice there's the words of Agor, son of Yake, and, and who spake unto Ithiel and to uh, Ukal. And uh, the conventional commentaries will throw up their hands on this one. But even uh, Jerome and Rashi recognize that Agar was probably Solomon. It means collector. It means to collect a symbolical name, just like Koheleth was his symbolical name in Ecclesiastes. And Rashi and Jerome point out that this could symbolize Solomon. He had several names. Jedediah was the name that was given to him at birth by Nathan, beloved of Jehovah. And uh, another name that's probably Solomon also is Lemuel, devoted to God. And some of us suspect that Lemuel was actually the pet name of Bathsheba for her son, an, a, a name that maybe only she used. Agar was the son of Yake, the mysterious collector, and he was a mysterious collector of wise sayings, ostensibly inspired the counsels of Ethiel and Eucal, but we'll discover more as we look there. The proverb of Solomon, all of them were the, of Solomon, we believe, from cover to cover. And if that's true, then this all fits. Son of Yake would be, which be, the word actually means carefully religious, obedient, pious. And, uh, and despite his failings, he, he, uh, David really was. And Agar was the son of Yake, a mysterious collector of wise sayings and so forth. The father of Agar would thus be David in this model. And even the prophecy man spake, if you go through the Hebrew here, the mighty oracle prophesied is what it actually says, but it's, quite, it's not that different from what you have in your English. But the rest of it's pretty weird. The word Ithiel means God incarnate. God arrives. God is with me. It's a, virtually a synonym for Emmanuel, God with us, as used in Isaiah and is well known to most of us from the Christian stories and so forth. Ethiel is a very similar term. Ukal is a verb, ukal, which means to be consumed. Well, that Hebrew construction seems to indicate that God arrives to be consumed. That shocks us at first until we stop and think about it, at least in two ways. One way is the cross. God was incarnate to be consumed. But he's also perhaps uh, more relevant to the uh, uh, John 6, where the, 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 the uh, uh, living bread discourse. So what this Hebrew really says in the early part of Proverbs 30 is the words gathered of the wise son of the pious father, the prophecy of the mighty oracle that El, God, arrives to be consumed. Astonishing declaration. And John 6, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. And whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. 
an astonishing presentation from several points of view, not the least of which it is as anti-rabbinical as you can imagine. Then he goes on, I am more brutish than any man, have not the understanding of a man, which of course makes no sense until you unravel it a little bit. And nor, there is no negative in the Hebrew. The, the, uh, I, I, I was not taught wisdom and I have the knowledge of the holy. I was not taught wisdom and I have knowledge of the holies. Then there are these list of questions in chapter 4 which clarify, underscore, the identity we're assuming here. There are five questions. Who hath descended, who hath ascended up to heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in the garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? And of course, each one of these is uh, exemplified uh, from the Psalms and Hosea. And specifically, the, the rhetorical questions have the implied answer, God himself. This last one is the most joyous one of all for me because that's the one Jesus himself used to confound the Pharisees. And we saw that in Matthew 22 when they gathered together. What think ye of Christ, he said. Whose son is he? The Pharisee said, he's the son of David. <laughs> well, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said of my Lord, set thou at my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. Good question. He's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, the same one. If David called him Lord, how is he his son? No man was able to answer him a word, nor did they dare answer, ask any man, dare any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So, I love that. Well, one of the things that you might want to do when you look at Proverbs 30 is if that is the speaker and if that is the uh, dark sayings, how far does it flow? That's followed with questions about this generation, this generation, this generation, this generation, which fits us today, but it also fit the generation that Jesus specifically was addressing in his ministry. And one of the things I just leave you to play with is if you accept the premises that we set up with the first three or four verses in that chapter, what does that imply for the rest? Is there an undercurrent underneath the text of a whole nother discovery. And that's the kind of thing that uh, you need to discover for yourself. So we leave that with you. I want to remind you of this little project that I hope you'll continue. And that's the idea to take a little journal in month one. In the morning, read the chapter for that date, 1 through 31. In the evening, record the verse in your journal that proved to be the most relevant for that day. It may have been a, a verse that you wish you'd followed more carefully. It might be a verse that opened a special door. Who knows? It'll have a special relevance for you, and I suggest you put the verse down and then annotate how, why it's relevant to you. And month two, I want you to do the same thing again and do exactly the same thing. And you're going to make, as you do this for several months, you'll make a personal discovery that the most relevant will appear to have been tailored to your specific day. Try it out and see. And uh, we'll see where it leads to. Okay. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. One of the things that we always have in our student notes for each lesson is how do you prepare for the next session? And this is the last session. So one of the things I'm going to suggest you do 
is pray seriously about what book the Bible, of the Bible the Holy Spirit would lead you to next. And uh, that may be one that we're teaching from here, and if so, fine. But it also might be one you may just want to sign up for in one of these online courses, what have you. But take a book. See if the Holy Spirit puts in your heart a specific book and pledge to yourself to address that book seriously with your own self-study or by signing up with an online course or what have you. Pray about it. See what the Lord leads you to. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we come before your throne, first of all, acknowledging our sins, for they are many. We find so many ways to grieve you. Sins of presumption, sins of ingratitude. Oh, Father, we confess them before you, asking you that, and trusting you, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive us our sins as you promised. We ask that, Father, that we can approach you, that we might receive from you your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to illuminate that path before us. We pray, Father, that you would increase in each of us a new hunger, a new passion for your word, that we each might grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We ask these things, Father, that each of us might discover precisely what it is that you would have of each of us in the days ahead. That we each might be more fruitful stewards of the opportunities and the resources you put at our disposal. We just ask you all these things, Father, as we commit ourselves into your hands without any reservations whatsoever. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store, or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ as you study his word.